This is Inside Berkeley. I'm Brian Paris, and in this episode, we're talking with Chrissy Tignor-Fisher, assistant professor in the Contemporary Writing and Production Department. Originally from the Boston area, Chrissy's a producer, engineer, songwriter, and musician with a long list of credits, both in America and in England. She's worked with production companies and artists such as Bastille, Camille Purcell, Choppa Dunks, Notting Hill Music, Alex Clare, and Rollover Music. An artist in her own right, she records original and remix material in the pop and EDM genres under the name Data Child. Chrissy, welcome to Inside Berkeley. Thanks, Brian. Well, while we're talking about Data Child, let's start off with some of your remix work. We'll do the original version of a track that you remixed called Amazing Eyes by the folk band Good Old War. Right, so this is the original track, and you can tell that it's a um, you know a folk track. And I took the vocal from that track and actually transformed the genre into something completely different. So I figured it'd be cool to listen to the first version first. Cool. Suspicious and the left one wants my love I don't care what you think I've done I know I never meant no harm to anyone I know I never meant no harm at all So that's the original track and um, what I decided to do, and this is actually my first release as Data Child, which is um, now the pseudonym that I do a lot of production work under. Um, what I did with the track is uh, just totally transformed it into something really different. Um, and so this is what I came up with as one of my remixes. I'm struck really by the versatility there. I mean, I if we hadn't heard the original, I mean, it would be pretty easy to kind of hear those both on their own as songs that were meant to be that way. Uh, I think it's a really appropriate way to kind of begin our conversation just because you bring in so many different talents into kind of one package, I guess. Um, so with that said, I'd love to hear a bit about how your road to being such a multifaceted musician and engineer, um, production engineering is in your background. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that Genesis story. Sure. Um, I actually have an engineering background to start. Um, I went to the Hart School of Music in Hartford, Connecticut for um, music production technology. And that was a pretty heavily um, 
engineering degree with a lot of focus on recording technology uh, and also a lot of mixing and mostly the engineering side of production. Um, I did focus a lot on electronic composition while I was there as well, um, but I really wanted to be a studio engineer for uh, my life after I had my first degree there. Um, from there, I actually got into a master's program at the University of Westminster in London. Um, and from there, I actually got much more into electronic music. It was something that, even though I had experimented with kind of electronic textures and the composition side of things, when I moved to England, I brought it more into like the EDM world and electronic music as a whole, which in London, the scene is really, really strong. Um, and so from there, I started to do a lot of production and a lot of songwriting and kind of brought those skills into what I already had as an engineer and as a, um, a producer, mixer, and sort of put it all together to where I am now. Cool. So it wasn't really a prediction, you know, to get into producing an EDM and that sort of thing. It was more like you got into a program in London and, and it was just some interests that kind of lie beneath the surface kind of came out. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it was something that my first remix that I ever did for my master's degree and um, my teacher for that class could probably recognize and remember this moment forever. Um, it was absolutely completely wrong. I mean, I just didn't really understand electronic music at all it wasn't something that I listened to or even had any understanding of what a remix was. Um, and basically he told me to start over and just said, Chrissy, listen to lots of different types of music. Um, don't just get in your own head by chopping up audio, you know, like start to write more, just make the song something totally different. And yeah, from there, I mean, I ended up going from, you know, a complete complete beginner into something that, um, you know, I was kind of pushed into and then flourished in and really, really loved by the end of it. Cool. So sort of seeing it more as a creative process. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Great. Uh, well, I'm struck with how you're able to integrate a lot of what you do professionally into uh, the educational world. And so teaching full time at Berkeley, I see a lot of overlap there. So what led you to want to teach and, and how do you strike that balance between still pursuing all the stuff on the side, but also working it into the classroom and, and those different worlds? So I come from a whole big family of teachers. So I think teaching just happens to be in my blood to start off with. Um, I've always been really drawn to working with the younger generation um, and even my colleagues just in a collaborative yet educational sense. Um, I really have always wanted to be a teacher as well as a professional. So when the opportunity came up at Berkeley, it was it seemed really perfect for me. Um, I have always um, worked with, I guess, younger um, students, but also at Berkeley, you know, at the university level, it's a, a whole different ball game, um, And I just really, really love it. And to kind of balance between what I do professionally and what I do here, I, I don't really see a huge amount of a disconnect between the two. Um, I think that a lot of what I continue to do outside of Berkeley really is brought back into the classroom in terms of, you know, in an educational sense to sort of show students what it's like to actually still be working in the industry and still be doing it and um, inspire them to do the same. It seems like a lot of pedagogical philosophy these days tends to be on bringing personal experience into the classroom anyway, and it's, it's really cool to kind of hear the, how that works for you. Um, so it's kind of stemming from that idea of giving students direct access to your professional work and the industry, I guess, as a whole. Uh, you've done a lot of new programming since you've been on the faculty here. Uh, just last fall, you did a, an event titled Women, Technology, and Creativity. 
Um, and more recently, you've been leading a series of events called Creativity in the DAW, or Digital Audio Workstation. Uh, I, that, and that's uh, for women only as well. Um, I'd love if you could tell us a little bit about those projects. Sure. Um, women, technology, and creativity was something that came from uh, an idea that sparked between Bonnie Hayes and I. Um, she's the chair of the songwriting department here at Berkeley. We both started together, and we both uh, come from a background of being technological women in a male-dominated field. And we really wanted to start something here that made women feel empowered, feel inspired, and just uninhibited by technology, um, and use it more as a creative device rather than just, um, you know, something that you have to do to get your ideas into, you know, a digital format. Um, so it came out of that, and we had our first uh, event last semester in the fall, and it was a really incredible success for even just as a beginning kind of jumping off point for us. We had um, so much support from the school, from students who were interested, and also we had um, some great professionals getting involved and sponsors being involved with us. And um, we're in the middle of planning our next event, which is going to be this coming fall, which we plan to really just boost even, you know, even bigger and um, continue to inspire women to be creative in the technology. Um, creativity in the DAW is sort of one of those programs that was another idea of mine uh, that came up when I realized that a lot of women uh, in their technological classes felt a little bit uh, shy about the technology and that they would have to depend on somebody else. And this is a broad generalization, but um, it seemed to be quite a trend from what I could tell. And, and uh, they felt like they were a little bit shy around the technology. And when they sort of tried to use it or, you know, um, tried to get into it, it was almost like, well, I create these ideas outside of the DAW mm -hmm. and then I bring them into the DAW, but I, they were created somewhere else. And what I wanted to do is get women into the DAW as a creative device itself and get them to create within the software as opposed to outside of it. Um, and that, um, as a result, has them producing a, you know, a track or, you know, a beat or whatever, using and utilizing the technology in a more creative way. The first creativity in the DAW started in uh, spring 2014, and we just had our second installation this uh, past week, uh, which was done at the new Berkeley Studio One, and it was a huge success. We have waiting lists that are longer than the amount of people that we can even fit into these programs. So it's been a real success. Wow. That's really cool. Um, I'd love to hear some of how that process went uh, and sort of... I think the basic concept is that someone comes with a, a demo track and then you guys kind of, I guess, crowdsource creativity, you know. Yeah, so we started out with a very basic um, uh, demo of an artist with a piano track and a vocal. And what we did is we went in and worked together to start creating, utilizing the software itself, um, a whole bunch of different productions put together and creatively produced this track in, you know, two hours, um, starting from wow. a demo and making it a full production. Um, and this was all done in Logic Pro X, which is um, the software for this particular program. It's also the software that I use professionally. So mm -hmm. it's a really great, again, um, connection between, you know, education and the real world. Cut me loose, cut me loose You had a hold of me too Cut me loose, cut me loose 
that's the original track that we started out with. And in this workshop, I focus on three main um, points to consider when approaching a production. Uh, one of them is your drums. Uh, especially if you're going into a pop production, you want something to be big, you want it to be impactful, whether it's electronic or not. Um, the second one is hybrid productions, which um, when I first asked a lot of these students, well, what do you hear after listening to this track? What do you think should be there? A lot of them were very stuck in the fact that it was only piano and vocals. So we had a lot of acoustic instrument ideas. So, oh, I'd really like some strings here, you know, and it would be really nice to sort of develop it um, with some very, very minimal sort of acoustic drum kits at the second verse. And, you know, it seemed um, uh, very expected. And hybrid productions kind of combine those two worlds with acoustic and electric. Um, and then the third thing is actual layering. So um, talking about, uh, you'll hear in this version too, layering up the vocals a bunch of times so that they sound much more lush and getting that really kind of signature vocal sound, as well as the rest of the instrumentation, especially in the chorus. So that, I mean, we really, we came from like a sort of Regina Spector, Fiona Apple kind of vibe, mm -hmm. which sort of still sounded like that at the beginning of the of the second track, but then it, we're pretty much club ready um, by yeah. the time we get to the, the chorus and, and that second one. Um, so this, this brings up a broader question for me and something you sort of mentioned earlier about wanting to empower women to kind of use creativity more in the digital, digital audio workstation. Uh, so what is it that bridges creativity and technology for you? I, I think traditionally people see those things as separate, right? You have the art as its own thing, and then you take that into the technology, and that helps boost it. So, you know, it certainly isn't limiting it, the, you know, the power of the technology, but they still kind of have maybe have their own worlds, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so, so what is it for you that kind of combines those so uh, effortlessly? So I have always been inspired by sounds. I think that um, just going through a whole library of synths or samples and, you know, arpeggiators and um, even just drum samples, getting myself inspired by something that doesn't exist outside of the technology. Um, I've always been really just sort of into that. So I think that for me, it came really naturally. Um, instead of conceiving these ideas outside of it and mostly just because I'm you know not necessarily an artist in the traditional sense you know like a, a vocalist songwriter that uses the technology to support that um, I'm, I'm an artist that was born in the DAW like quite a lot of, of producers are so um, for me it, it's a very very natural thing but for a lot of people and not only women but a lot for a lot of women that transition is is a little bit more difficult um, to start conceiving within the actual DAW. So for me, it's been actually pretty seamless. Um, and I just want to, you know, bring that into the classroom and bring that into these events and kind of make it easier, more accessible for others too. Great. So that's that's kind of in, in designing this whole project, that's the kind of thing that you want them to take forward from that, that there isn't such a, uh, you know, a strict division between these two things and that also just in as far as careers go 
having these skills uh, to be able to work within a, a sort of highly specialized field or something, it doesn't hurt to have things that are just beyond the songwriting process. Absolutely. And the response for these programs has been overwhelmingly positive. Um, even students who are entering Berkeley, who never originally considered a technological major, have now gone 100% in the other direction from what they thought they were mm. going to do. Um, and I just hear these success stories over and over again from the students and you know the women who are involved in these programs. So it's been really great. And I've noticed um, just a lot more confidence uh, overall. That's awesome. <clears throat> so there's really kind of an unspoken hunger there. It seems, that seems really cool. It's feeling that need. Um, and so you you stress, obviously, then staying on top of technology. And, you know, as we all know, everything gets a new release every, th you know, three days, it seems like. And so you can be cutting edge one week, but maybe next week have to sort of relearn something or get a new version. How do, how do you teach that adaptability? Uh, I guess both how do you uh, model it yourself? And then also what do you teach your students to say, you know, here's, here's what we know, this is cutting edge now, but it won't be. And here's how to prepare for that when they're outside the classroom and not at Berkeley. So I try really hard to teach the overall technique of the technology and the process, more so than just the software. Uh, I did mention that this program was done in Logic Pro X, which um, happens to be like a really, really great software for this type of thing because it has so many sounds and capabilities just built into it. Um, but really, when it comes to my classes, I really want to teach the method more than anything else. Because technology always changes. It changes more than any other part of the music industry. I mean, it just is constantly evolving. And if you can't keep up with it, you become outdated and you won't be able to keep up with the industry moving fast around you. So what I try to do, instead of saying, well, this particular synth is really great because of this, I'll say, well, this synth is really great. However, you're going to notice this exact same setup in every other synth that you open. The cutoff frequency is going to do the same thing in every synth. So no matter what it is, uh, they're going to know that they know how to kind of adapt themselves to a new technology. Um, but with that being said, I, I do stress the importance of knowing software really well, just because it's just another kind of tick on your resume as something that you can do um, when, let's just say, your number one choice might not be uh, the job that's available at that moment. Right. And, and for me, that connects to this this sort of, and this is a bit of a can of worms, so we don't have to go down this road too mm -hmm. far. But the idea of, you know, everyone's talking about what is the future of, of the music industry. Uh, and it's, I don't know, for me, it seems like this adaptability is critical to that conversation. And I don't know if that's how you would approach that uh, question as well. Absolutely. I think adaptability is the number one kind of toolkit that you need from here on out. And that means everything from being good at the technology, being a good writer, being savvy with the business side of things, all of those are all part of the puzzle of how to be successful beyond your education. And I think that in, in terms of the future, because it's so rapidly changing, there's no way to really predict what's going to happen. But for students, the best thing you can possibly do is be prepared for absolutely anything that the industry can throw at you. Um, that doesn't mean you have to be perfect at absolutely everything, but having that toolkit is absolutely going to do you well. I always tell my students that, um, you know, a story about when I first left my degree, I had wanted to be a studio engineer so badly. I just wanted to work with artists and bands and, and just be on that side of the creativity. Um, and during my master's degree, I had a project where I had to do location sound for a film. 
and it was my least favorite thing that ever happened. I hated it. And I was holding a big boom pole over these actors, and I thought, this is like, this is my worst nightmare. I will never do this again. And I graduated, and my first paid job was location sound for a documentary <laughs> on sports charities. And I got to travel around the UK and hold a boom pole. Um, and that was my first paid job. So, you know, at the time, you know, once you're out of it, once you're out of the university and you have to survive, it's better to do that than nothing music related at all. So I think that, you know, being able to be confident in, in a few different skills is better than being incredibly great at one skill. But very, very mediocre in everything else. <laughs> <laughs> or, or at least at least an openness uh, to sort of new skills in that way. I mean, it's it goes back to what you were saying about your teacher in grad school saying, you know, go back, listen to this music and and approach, you know, remixing from a, a more creative angle and make that. So in, in a way, it's it's not taking away from what you wanted to do. It's enhancing. It's giving it a little bit more body and soul to it, which is cool. You know, the opposite of what people normally think. It's like, well, I'm going to have to diminish this one amazing thing that I do in order to learn other things. Where, exactly. Yeah. It can only be a positive outcome by expanding and doing different things and trying different things. So then you know really what it is you want to do. And as you continue to develop as uh, a musician, you know the direction that you can focus on and that you want to focus on. And it really, really does take practice and it takes being in the industry beyond education to kind of figure out what that is. Cool. So, and sort of speaking about, you know, next things and, and future. So what's what's next for you uh, at Berkeley uh, programming-wise? I mean, you, you've already mentioned that uh, you've got another Women, Technology, and Creativity piece on the radar, and, uh, you know, the Creativity in the DAW series is insanely popular. So, is it just kind of hitting with those? Do you have other ideas on the on the back burner that uh, you're interested in? I think that I'm just one big swimming pool of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I think I probably have too many ideas than I know what to do with. But um, focusing on the women's events, that's not my number one priority outside of the CWP department. I think it's really important. I think we need it. And the the desire is there. So that's my biggest focus. Um, I also do a lot of other incentives, um, again, to kind of make it real for students. Um, I do uh, some outside production workshops in commercial studios in Boston that students are invited to come for free um, mm. based on the people that I know who are do donating their studio space and their mm. great time and, um, and just basically doing it for the joy of teaching what it's like um, in a professional environment. And those have been really great. We've done two vocal production workshops um, with me and my friend Ryan Hinkle, who is the manager down at uh, the studio manager down at Heard Studios now. But we actually worked together over at Sanctum Sound previously. And um, we actually did the Bastille um, session together there oh, as cool. well. Um, but we've been, you know, really good friends since I moved back to Boston. And he's been kind of doing this with me in the studio. So we did two vocal production ones at Sanctum. And then this past semester, we did a drum recording workshop at Heard Studios. And that was great, too. And that's open to all majors, although it sometimes it doesn't quite get past CWP because that's where I am. <laughs> and the wait list is, like, incredibly long and it fills up really fast. Um, but, yeah, I'd love to continue to do more of that um, and bring as many kind of professionals from the outside world into the educational world as much as possible. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of going hard and CWP. Yeah. <laughs> It's great. I love I love how fluid everything is for you. It's it's just like 
well, there's a need for this, and we're just going to do it. We're going to find studio space, and we're going to get it donated. And that's and that's to... how how I roll. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, personally or professionally, in, in you know, data child world or anything else, what else do you have going on? Yeah, so I have a couple of really cool projects going on. Um, one of them is with a fantastic songwriter and vocalist, um, Lauren Hashin, and uh, I've been working with her. Uh, Back in the days that I was at Sanctum, we did a couple of sessions together, and since then we've been working remotely. Um, and we're putting together a track at the moment, which again is doing remote up until she comes back up to Boston. Um, but uh, the really, really interesting um, project that I have coming out right now is a production project with an artist called Karina Taylor. And she's over in the UK in Brighton, and we've actually never met. Hmm. And I think that this is a really, you were asking about the future of music and, you know, the future of the industry. I, I think that the fact that um, remote collaboration is so possible right now, I, I think that that is really, it shuts down every single barrier that you can think of in terms of placement of where you are in the world. Um, so Karina and I have been collaborating online since we started working together. And we've put together a track um, that I've produced and she's written called Master of My Monster. And she um, is going to be putting it out on uh, the 1st of May. But I have a little preview here if you want to hear um, what the track is going to be. And uh, we're really excited about it. It's also been chosen as a BBC introducing track of the day next Friday. So it'll be awesome. quite cool. Awesome. Yeah, I think that that's a great way to take us out. So, uh, so Chrissy, thanks again. Uh, for for being here today and and let's hear a little bit of Master of My Monster. Thank you. Here it comes again, the sound of my heartbeat and every fear in me. Doesn't want to believe that I can let go. Can let go. I'll be the master of my monster. I know I'll be stronger. Just give me some time. I'll show the master of my monster who's in charge tonight. I'll be the master of my monster. I know I'll be stronger. Just give me some time. I'll show the This episode was engineered by student Steve Xia in partnership with The Burn. I'm Brian Paris, and this is Inside Berkeley. <laughs>